All right, I just want to begin with prayer. And so um, I want to invite you guys to pray with me and um, join me in this if you know this prayer as well. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those, our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In your name and in your grace, I pray. Amen. Um, so as I was saying, today's message is, you know, a little, little, not so much a sermon as more just something, you know, that I wanted to share on my heart. Um so, you know, one thing about me is growing up, I've always had um, ministry aspirations, you know, even as a teenager. Um, and that's kind of weird. I know that's like not something, you know, people normally have. Um, I didn't really have a lot of like professional aspirations. I didn't have like, you know, huge goals in my life where I wanted to be this or I wanted to, um, you know, like uh, have a certain amount of money by a certain amount of time. I just didn't really have those kind of goals. Um, I did have like a, a marriage goal, you know, like I wanted to be married by about 26, which is kind of exactly what happened. But um, growing up, I had a lot of ministry aspirations, which again is strange. And for example, um, I started learning guitar around 15 or 16 years old. And um, at the time, my church was going through a building renovation. And so what we were doing is we were meeting at the hospital auditorium. And so it was kind of a lecture hall that had stadium seating where <clears throat> the speaker would be at the bottom and the chairs would go up this way. And along the sides were stairs. So you can go down and sit in whichever row you wanted to sit. In. And so uh, when I was about 15 or 16 years old, I was learning the guitar. And the way our church set it up was the main praise leader and the keyboard and the speaker and stuff, they were all at the bottom. And they would place the younger kids who were learning guitar up kind of around the corners or on the sides of the stairs. And it, it kind of was an unspoken thing, but the better you were, the closer to the front you were, because that's where more of the people were. And the worse you were, the higher up on the stairs you would be. And so when I began playing, like they put me way at the top. And you know, I, I had this janky guitar. I didn't, um, I didn't have a strap, so I would just like sit down and you know, at the time we didn't have PowerPoint, we were using overhead projectors and, you know, the, the, the thing and, and our words would have the chords. And so we'd just be looking up, trying to play kind of quietly on the side, hopefully not to disrupt worship and, you know, like distract people with my terrible guitar playing. Um, but I remember at the time I was thinking like, oh, I cannot wait to make it down to the front. You know, like I want to get down the stairs, the, le the lower, lower levels and kind of make it where I could get there. And so when I was about 15 or 16 years old, I had this ministry aspiration that one day I want to be a praise leader. One day I want to lead worship for people and I want to be that guy. And, um, and, and I was this teenager who like, that was really what I wanted to do. And so when I would go home and I would practice, you know, during that time, I basically stopped watching TV and I would just sit at the computer, look up chords and, uh, and, and practice guitar for hours and hours and hours. Um, and then later on in college, you know, this, as I began to study theology and as I began to plan to go into ministry, I remember I had an aspiration, um, like, oh, I really wanted to be a great preacher. 
And then, you know, after that, I, I wanted to be a, a great Bible study giver, you know, that kind of a, like a teacher in that way. And then it changed into, I want to be a great organizer and a great administrator. Um, and then that kind of shifted. And I was like, oh, I really want to be a great leader. And so I just like all throughout my life and through my ministry career, I just had these different aspirations. Like, oh, I want to get there. I want to be that. I want to be better in these ways. And, you know, there's like a bunch more that I've had. Um, you know, I've I've always like thought, oh, I want to plant a church one day. I, I've thought I want to like in the Korean ministry, for those of you guys who are familiar, you know, I wanted to, to guide a, a transition of power where the English ministry becomes the main church and like make it really uh, wonderful and peaceful and, and really spirit led, you know. And so these are like all throughout my life. I've had these different ministry aspirations and, and some of them, they would get really intense for a period and then they would kind of disappear and you know, I don't really think about it anymore. Uh, but there were some that would stay with me. And some that would just like stick and, and it would never really go away. <clears throat> and there is one that um, there is one that stuck, has been with me for the last 10 years of my ministry. And um, it was this picture of a church that was like a beacon of light in a neighborhood or a community. You know, it was this church that was this beacon of, of hope in a neighborhood or a community. Right, that this church, this this building, and these people who would gather in this place in this one area would be this powerful force for good and love and hope and positivity in that neighborhood. You know, it, it was this this picture of a a church where the neighbors around that church would say things like, "You know, I've never been there, but I'm so glad that they're in our neighborhood." And things like, maybe I'll, I'll never go. And maybe I don't believe what they would believe. But man, I'm so glad that they're here. And like this picture of a church that has that kind of an impact on a neighborhood or a community. Like that's been kind of on my heart for the last 10 years. You know, this church that is an agent of change and transformation. That because of the way the church is and the things the church does and the way it engages with the community, it begins to transform the people in that neighborhood and, I don't know, makes it a safer place and, and just like, you know, beautifies it in, in, in many different ways. Um, and, and so like I had this passion before and in my, my old church, you know, years ago, I was something that I was really working towards. And I used to think that meant that church had to be like a community church. You know, uh, if you don't know, if you're not familiar with the term community church, it's a church where the members who attend live in that community. And um, I've always thought, okay, that's what we got to do. That's what we got to be. In order to be that, we have to be that. And, and that's something I dreamed about too. Um, but what I've realized is that's not the case. It certainly helps. And it's good to have, you know, that kind of a situation going on. But, but I realized it doesn't have to be that way. And as I was kind of thinking about this, I realized that all it has to do with, in order to be that beacon of light for a neighborhood, all it has to do with is what Jesus has been telling us to do all along. In Matthew 22, he, he gives this teaching. Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And this is Jesus' response in Matthew 22, verse 37. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Now, if Jesus stopped there, like, we'd be okay. I mean, that's hard enough as it is, right? But 
if you stop there, most churches would at least be on the right track. Because for the most part, that's what churches do and pastors like to do. We like to help our members love God. In, in, in different ways. And, and we work really hard at that. And we develop worship programs and we do a lot of things to help our church members love God more. And so that's probably what most churches are doing. So if Jesus stopped there, as difficult as that would be, we'd be on the right track. But then he goes on to say in verse 39, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And for, for many of you, if you grew up in the church, you've definitely heard this before. And if you have not grown up in the church, you still may have heard it. And there's something really nice about that idea. Like how Jesus kind of simplifies everything to loving God and loving others. Like a lot of people can get down with that. And you're good with that. But I want us to sit with that for a moment and think about that commandment and think about that teaching. And yes, it is wonderful that Jesus taught this. And that's where my mind goes. And that's probably where your mind went. Yeah, loving other people. That's a really, really good thing. And, and people should do that. And Christians should do that. And churches should do that. But if I sit with it a little while longer and kind of think about it a little bit more and then think about myself a little bit more, this Second greatest commandment, which in the way Jesus talks about it, is really not second in terms of like importance. It's second in that it's like the other side of the coin of the first greatest commandment, loving God, loving others. It's two sides of the same coin. So it's, it's on par. If I sit long enough and if I allow my mind to ruminate it on it a little bit more, I don't know if you get the sense, but this verse becomes a very haunting verse. It becomes actually a very difficult and very challenging verse for me. Because, again, it's wonderful that Jesus taught it, and it's wonderful when it, when it happens. But at the same time, this verse, let's be real about this. It is a verse of judgment against those of us who don't do it who don't love our neighbors as ourselves. It is a verse of challenge for those of us who fail to do this. And it's something that we as members of a church body, a church body that represents Christ in our world, it's a teaching, it's a, judgment, it's a rebuke maybe, that we all need to take very, very seriously. I mentioned this a few weeks ago um, about our mission statement and kind of like the progress and the process of our mission statement. And um, I want you guys to know that, you know, our mission statement that talks about why we exist, our church, why we believe we exist as a church, it's not just a statement to give information. It's not just a statement to say, hey, this is what we're about. It's also a plan. It's also a strategy. It's, it's phase one, phase two, and phase three. And the order was set, set in that order on purpose. This, this, and then this. And so um, I know I don't have to remind you of our mission statement because all of you guys have it memorized, right? But in case you didn't, 
Um, I wanted to put it on screen. Now, obviously I don't have slides, but I made my own slides. So here we go. All right, so this is our mission statement. Let me just make sure that you guys can all see it well. All right, our mission statement. We exist to connect people to a loving community, a living savior, and a lasting purpose. So we got these three elements of our mission statement. Loving community, living savior, and lasting purpose. Phase one, loving community. Phase two, living savior. And phase three, lasting purpose. Now, in my mind, we've been working through these three or these, these few elements for the past six years since I got here. Um, and so first, we really focused on building a loving community through programs like small groups and events for children and youth, uh, through potluck and coffee, through our sermons and our teaching, through, through changing up infrastructure like communications for the purpose of inclusion and like all these things we did for the purpose of building a loving community. Second, uh, we really focused on, especially during the COVID years when we couldn't really meet together, we really wanted to emphasize spiritual growth through Bible reading. If you guys remember the Bible reading plans, if you guys remember the um, family worship guides that we put out during that time, um, we had a series about going deeper in our relationship, about you know revival, being known and knowing scripture. And, and, and so we, we focus a lot on, on growing spiritually, connecting with Jesus, our living Savior. Through our teaching series, series, I don't know if that's a word, uh, we really focused on like learning something new. And so, you know, that's how we had that series on the intertestamental period. We want to kind of like pique your interest and really learn something new. Um, we spent time deconstructing things that needed to be deconstructed and to kind of look at things in new ways to, to gain new perspectives. Uh, we focused a lot on heavy but rich theological topics like, for example, just recently, forgiveness and repentance and also fasting. Um, we had like a hundred messages on the book of Ecclesiastes to dig deep in scripture. Okay, it wasn't hundred, it was 12, but that's a long series for us. And so all of that was for the purpose of connecting you, helping you connect to your living savior, Jesus Christ. So my question to you is why? Why? What, what was all that for? What was all the energy and purpose and planning and thought? What was all that for? We wanted to do all these things to, to number one, help you to be with Jesus more and to build a personal relationship with him. And we do that through all the things we talked about and in community. We wanted you to become more like Jesus, especially the way you treat each other and, and the way you love one another, that kind of thing. All of that, though, was so that I and, and you and we as a church, and, and that's really important. I'm talking about us corporately as a church, as a community, together, not you as an individual. But a lot of that, all of that was so that we as a church together would do what Jesus did. And what Jesus did, if you're to boil it down, was love God and love his neighbor and love others. And so if we don't, and this is the haunting part, it means that we as a community, because remember, this is a commandment, not a recommendation, not a suggestion. This is a commandment and not even just a commandment. It is the greatest commandment of all commandments. 
if we don't love our neighbors, it means we as a community have been and are disobedient. And I know we think of love as a really nice idea and a nice thing to do, but it's not just an idea or a concept. It is a command from our Heavenly Father. And if we fail to love our neighbors as ourselves, we are in sin corporately. And we are in disobedience as a community. Now, if you, if you love people as yourself, as an individual, that's awesome. And like, I, don't want to, I don't want to diminish that in any way. That's super special. And praise God for that. And you keep doing that. But I'm thinking of us in terms of a unit, as a body. If you as an individual do it, fantastic. But that doesn't mean we as a community are doing it. And if we as a community are not doing it, we are in disobedience. And to be honest, it's probably on me. I mean, I'm the pastor of the church, so I take responsibility for it, which is why I'm talking to you guys about it today. That is it possible that we as a church community are in disobedience if we do not love our neighbors as ourselves? And if we are in disobedience, we just learned the past few weeks, we know what we have to do. We have to repent as a community, as an organization. And we have to turn things around. We have to deal with the lie, as we talked about last week. We have to deal with the lie that allows us to justify ourselves when we don't love our neighbors as ourselves. What's that lie? And, you know, some of you are probably thinking and and are wondering, hey, man, like, what did I do? I didn't do anything. Like, why, are you, why are you casting blame on me? And, and if that's how you're feeling, uh, that's not what I want. You know, I want to be clear that this message, what I'm sharing with you, is not about blame and who's, whose fault it is. It's about understanding what God wants next for his church and what he wants next for us and why. See, I believe it's time for us to move from state phase one, two, and move on to phase three. And I'm not saying that we're done with phase one or phase two. We kind of never will be. We're always still working on it. And, you know, with the recent growth of our church and all the new members here and joining our church is fantastic. And so we have to actually really be very careful and thoughtful and and continue to build a loving community. Um, And, and, you know, I'm not saying that we're done in in helping you to connect to Jesus because we're not there either. We have a lot to figure out. We have a lot of doubts and struggles and issues. And we've got to still kind of grow in our relationship with Jesus every day. But I just feel like right now in 2023, I sense that this is the time and we are at the place as a church where we are ready to begin loving our neighbors as a community. Once again, as a community together, not as individuals. Recently, someone said something really nice about Rock Fellowship. And, you know, I was really like, I was really like encouraged when I heard this. Um, Someone was talking about kind of a struggle with one of their children and, and having a hard time. And the response of one of uh, the people around in that conversation was, man, if we could just get them into rock, if we could just get them into the church, like, I feel like it would help so much. And, you know, when I heard that, I was like, man, that's, that's so cool. And I believe it's true, right? And I believe that's awesome. But I began to think about this. As great as that is and, and how encouraged as I was when I heard that, 
the question that I had was, why do people need to get in to experience that? Whatever that is, you know, and that is kind of like the thing that makes us us. But but how come people have to get in in order to experience that? You know what I'm saying? When I think about what Jesus taught about the church, what Jesus taught about love and how he set up the early church, I'm starting to think we need to be able to take that, again, whatever that is, out to them. You know, our neighbors and our communities that are physical and our relational communities and the people around us, they may never walk through our doors. But that doesn't mean that we can't figure out a way to take that to them. So there's a couple of points that I want to make about loving our neighbors and and how we can do that. And um, the first is that I want you to understand again, and I kind of emphasize this a couple times. This is not about you as an individual. This is about us. And, and so the first point I want you guys to 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 take um, as we talk about this is that we must love as a community. Um, again, not as just individuals, but as a community um, for a lot of different reasons. When Jesus sent out his disciples to do his work, he sent them out in twos. He sent them out in little communities to go. And, and there's a lot of practical reasons why that's such a great idea. It's easier to do that. You, you can bear the burdens together. You, you don't struggle as much. You can encourage each other and, and kind of share the, the, the challenges. But I realize that we have to love our neighbors as a community because I think like the way our world is right now, you know, if, if an individual Christian or, fo- or follower of Jesus loves people, like that's awesome, right? You know, they're super kind. They care for them. They're present with them in their lives and, and they, they, they check up on them and they include them and invite them and all that stuff. Like that's super important, right? People need to see individual followers of Jesus loving them like Jesus did and, and loving them like they love themselves. Absolutely. But people, our world, our society, our culture also need to see the church as a community, as a body, as an organization loving them as well. Right? Like the way our world and our society sees the church, and by extension, God, because of it, it's like they they think they're just there are just some good apples in the church. The church overall is not a great tree, it's not a good tree. But it does have some good apples, like my neighbor, like this person and that person. And we need to change that, right? What the world needs is not just a few good apples in the church. What the world needs is to realize that the whole tree is good. And the whole tree gives life. And the whole tree loves. So that's my first point. That's why we need to love as a community, as an organization, not just as individuals. My second point is I want to introduce to you guys a two-word phrase that represents kind of the direction. This is something that I'm hoping to kind of repeat regularly, you know, so that we always are reminded that we are called and commanded to love others. And, and, you know, with stuff like this, I really like these things. Um, And I love to, you know, try to like think of something creative and catchy. But this time I didn't. Um, I'll be honest with you. I just stole it from a book and I didn't even read the whole book. And it's not like some you know obscure part of the book. It's the title of the book. And so um, uh, 
the phrase that I want to kind of like establish as a, a representative phrase that is a reminder for us to love our neighbors is, and some of you guys have probably read this book, is everybody always. Everybody always. Meaning we are called and commanded to love everybody always. So when you're having a bad day and someone cuts you off, everybody always. Everybody always. When you've received terrible customer service and it was just a terrible experience and you want to complain and you want to you want to you know get into it everybody always everybody always when you're dealing with the person that is weird and and creepy and makes you feel uncomfortable and 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 you want to cut it off and you want to just like get out of there everybody always everybody always when you're at target and because this is portland and the northwest when the cashier wants to strike up a conversation with you about the latest movies and music and you're busy and you just want to get out of there you think everybody always everybody always that's a phrase that I want us to be kind of repeating in our minds because we are commanded and called to love our neighbors, love everybody always. And that's, that's a tall ask. I know it, but it's not something that I'm asking. It's something that our Heavenly Father has asked us to do, commanded us to do, everybody always. Now, as we close, I want to do three things real quick. I want to share, you, share with you what I think the problem is. And then I'm going to ask you a question that will help us find the solution. Then I'm going to invite you to be a part of the solution. So here's the problem. The problem with this whole thing about loving our neighbors as a community, the biggest problem is I don't know how to do this. I don't have the answers. Now, if you are uncomfortable with the pastor of the church not knowing everything, this is probably not the church for you because I've shared many, many times, I don't know this. I don't know how to do this. And this is another one of those things, to love our community, to love our neighbors as ourselves in a really meaningful and long-lasting and sustainable way. I don't really know how to do this, especially at an organizational level. If you were to ask me how to do it individually, it's a little bit easier, but at an organizational community level, how do we love our community and our neighbors in a really meaningful way? I'm not really sure. You know, I grew up in church like many of you, and I did the community services. I've done the outreach programs, and, and, and I've, I've done the things, you know, and we've done the things at church. But I just feel like over the past few years, just like something hasn't clicked right. Like the way we've been going about trying to love our community and our city and our neighbors, just like it has not really, really clicked and matched up to how we do it, you know? So no surprise here. To find the answer, we got to go back to Jesus's teaching because his teaching will help us get the answer. And then from his teaching, I'm going to ask the question. So Jesus is teaching on this. The second greatest commandment was to what? Love our neighbors as ourselves. So the question that we have to ask is as a community, how do we love ourselves? We have to figure out how we have naturally, organically 
in, in connection with our identity, loved ourselves in our community, and then we have to figure out a way to take that outside the walls of the church. Again, not necessarily as an individual person, but as a group. And, and you've probably experienced a lot of this in different ways, and there are things that you've experienced that I don't really know. And so that's why we need to ask that question, how does rock love itself? This is the question. How does rock love itself? And if you are newer to our church community, like within the last year or six months to a year, you have will have so much insight into this question. Because for those of you who grew up in this church or you've been here for like 10 years, it's hard to figure out what are like kind of the, the unique things, like what's happening because you've been in it. But if you're if you if you're new to this church, I really want to hear from you because you are experiencing this like real time and if you feel like you've experienced the loving community and you feel you felt that um you have a really really special contribution to make to this question as we try to figure out what how we love ourselves and how we can take that love to the streets or outside the the walls of the church. How does rock love itself? And so the third thing I said I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you guys to be a part of the solution. So you, where you are, I want you to think about it. I want you to figure out and, and have a couple ways that you've experienced how Roth loves itself. Or if you're in a group right now, after the message is done, I'm going to invite you guys to have a conversation. And I know maybe it's weird because you probably are used to just like after the service, you like eat and go talk about whatever. But I just want you to take a moment. And doesn't have to be in a giant group setting. Maybe you can do smaller groups. Um, but someone, like, just say, okay, let's talk about what Pastor Chris actually told us to talk about. Uh, how does rock love itself? How do rock people love each other? And then the way you can be a part of the solution. Because what we're going to do is we're going to take the information that you've shared with us. And then we're going to see what we're good at in terms of loving ourselves. And see how that can translate to a natural, organic, meaningful way to love our neighbors. And so once you kind of figure out your answers, whether it's one or two or three things or five things, I want you to email us at the church email. And I know that probably a lot of you guys don't know what the church email is, but here it is. Email us at rockfellowshipsta at gmail.com. Rockfellowshipsta at gmail.com. Okay. So after this message, talk with the people you're with or think about it with yourself and send us an answer. How does rock love itself. And maybe it's going to take time. Maybe you won't figure it out now. Uh, maybe later this week, send us an email how you feel like Rock is able to love itself. Well, you know, we need to find out how to love our neighbors in a way that's true to our identity. It's true to who we are as a church, because then it's going to be natural. Then it's going to be meaningful. Then it's going to be exciting and something that we can all get passionate about. And, and that's really just a confusing way to ask this simple question. And this is the goal, and this is what I'm hoping to come from this, is what is the rock way to love our neighbors? Okay, what is the rock fellowship way to love our neighbors? Because it looks different. Different communities love in different ways. What is rock's contribution? What is the rock fellowship way to love our neighbors? Because we know the rock way to do church community. We know the rock way to do worship. We know the rock way to do youth ministry. We know the rock fellowship way to do children's ministry. But what we have to figure out together 
is what is the rock way, the rock fellowship way to love our neighbors. So send us your answers so that we can figure out how rock can love our neighbors. Send it to rockfellowshipsda at gmail.com. And so my conclusion is really simple for this message. It's time for phase three. It's time for phase three. And as we close, and as we seek to repent, as we seek to move forward to phase three, to begin loving our neighbors, and as we gather all the information, remember, remember, remember this week, today, everybody, everybody, always. Let me pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God, for this teaching in Matthew 22. The way you've simplified it, the way you brought it down to help it, to help us to understand what you truly desire from us, Lord, to love you and to love others and to love our neighbors. The Father, you've given us the, the minds, the ability, the skills to decide how we are called to love our neighbors. So, Father, I surrender to you and I ask that you would show us the way because we want to repent from this. And, Father, we believe that you are leading us to a place where we can be a beacon of light and hope to our community. Thank you so much, God, for all of us who are joining in and engaging in this time. Bless the conversations that happen right after this. And we ask, God, that you would move through our community in a powerful, powerful way. Help us, Lord, to love everybody always. In your name we pray. Amen.